As I said earlier, today we're going to continue on uh, this, server, uh, this series called Forerunner. And before some of you sort of switch off and look, looking at the title, God prepares parents and going, well, I'm not a parent, or my kids are already raised, or I don't fit into that category, and switch off, it's bigger than that title. So hang with me until I get there. But um, we're going to be talking very specifically about um, John again, but uh, again, before we get to the person of John... Uh, last week we, we spoke about how God spoke about this one that would come before the Messiah, one who would prepare the way, one who would fill in the valleys, right, bring down the mountains and make wide the path for the, the king to come. And how John was called to do that. And we're going to be looking in coming weeks more specifically how John did that. And, and in that reflection we actually talked about how we are also called to go before Jesus where we are. We are to go before Jesus in our workplace, in our families, in our neighbourhoods, sometimes with strangers, and actually make way for Jesus to come. And the problem is, some of us, like, either we actually, we, 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 as we spoke about last week, we hide the map, we actually set up blockages, detours for people to take, and instead of following us to find Jesus... We say, no, sorry, you can't come. We, we actually deny them the opportunity. And so we've, got to, we've actually got to step up. And today we're going to talk about that in a little bit in sort of a, a, a duality of, of ways of how that can happen. And so we actually saw, as Alison read those verses, those last words, as the angel made this promise to Zechariah, um, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So again, this whole idea of forerunner was was planted in Zachariah's mind, even before John was born, even before he was conceived, you are going to have a son who is going to make the people ready for the king who is coming. And so we set that up straight away. But basically what we need to realise is that um, as we look at this, the story of John begins with his dad, Zachariah. It begins there. And in fact, this is actually the, really the beginning of the Christmas story. It's kind of funny talking about... The, some of the Christmas passages or the, how they're related um, not long after Christmas. But this is where even the Christmas story begins. And see, Zechariah was, was John's father and, and it basically shows how much they were interwoven. Um, Zechariah was a priest of the order of um, Abijah and twice a year their order served for seven days in the temple. So, so two weeks a year they had like a Sunday through to a Saturday an opportunity to serve in the temple. Um, so for those who complain about me only working one day a week, these guys only work 14 days a year. Well, that's what it looks like, doesn't it? But no, it was a great honour. So they'd be doing other jobs, but it was a great honour to serve in the temple in this way. But it actually... So 14 days a year, and then um, during that time, they were charged um, with the morning and evening sacrifices... So there was 14 opportunities on those days um, to basically offer the sacrifice, to light the incense on the sacred altar in the holy place of the temple. And the holy place was the second most sacred space on earth. The altar of incense was located two feet from the Holy of Holies, which was the most sacred place in the world. God himself dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And every morning a lot was drawn Every afternoon another was drawn and each time the winner got to enter the holy place and light the incense on the altar. So 
14 times once um, and, and another 14 times later in the year. And this privilege was so special, though, that no one was allowed to win the lottery twice. So no one actually had a, a chance to repeat doing it. So if you got it when you were 20, or it wouldn't have been 20 when you were 30 or more, basically that was it. You were done with that. But again, not everyone um, got an opportunity to do it, which where Zachariah, Zachariah found himself. He was already old and never had the opportunity to do it. And when you're old, the end looks like it's coming quicker than the beginning was. So the beginning's taken me, well, that's actually going really fast now. With the downhill slope is, is I'm, I'm cruising really fast towards the end. And Zachariah's going, my opportunities to do this are running out. And each year there are probably more people in his order that are added to the, the potential people that can offer their sacrifices twice a day, seven days once, seven days another time. And so every year that goes past Zachariah's lot is not drawn. He's thinking, I may not be here next time. I may not be here next year. I may not get a chance to actually be involved in this honour. And so Zachariah had been longing for the honour to, to, um, to serve God in this way, but his time was running out. Now, Zachariah had an unrealised hope. We actually had more than one. Because not only was he waiting for this, because again, this would have been the highest honour for any priest, he was also waiting, and he, daily he prayed to God for a son of his own. And that hadn't happened either. Now, I'm not sure which he was hoping for more um, at this time. Like, cause I don't know, he still daily prayed for his son. I'm not sure if he was daily praying for the opportunity to serve God in the Holy of Holies. But it looked like the opportunity had gone. He'd missed it. Um, nobody would have a child in advanced years, and especially nobody whose wife was also well along in years. And now for some of you hearing, praise God, that that won't be happening for me. Um, if, if we had a child right now, um, Greg's hair might grow back. Like, that's how, that's how dramatic it could be. Like, um, um, you, you, like even as, as younger parents, sometimes you kind of go, oh, this is too much right now. You imagine, like, yeah, you're... you're sort of going towards the end and there's a little person coming to your house and all of a sudden you go, well, what do we do with this? So, but for, for Zachariah and Elizabeth, it was actually still very much a desire of their hearts. They had two great hopes, but two great hanging disappointments that are so evident in their life. But then this day happened. Have you ever had a day like that where either you're looking forward to something, um, like... Some of you have just started school back and you go, I can't wait till December and that last day of school and this day will happen and I'll be on holidays again. Some of you go, oh, I can't wait till I get to grade 12 and, and I'll be on holidays forever and then you forget, that's what, I've got to go work now for the rest of my life. Okay? So just think, at the moment, you've never got it so good. Um, don't, don't wish for the future too much. Or maybe it's buying that new car that you've... Or maybe it's going for your licence. I'm going for my license, I'm so excited, this is, this is going to be a great day. I'm going to be able to drive as far as I can find at Ford Fuel. I'll be able to sort of do a lap around the block and sort of have so much independence. Maybe it's getting married. Maybe it's having your first child or another child and this was just a, such an exciting day. Maybe it's a day where all of a sudden you kind of go, oh, I've got this new job that I've been working for so much. 
or you've graduated from uni and you've, you've actually got your, your career lined up and you go, this is going to be an exciting day. Well, this is the kind of feeling that Zachariah had. All of a sudden, his name was drawn out of the lot. He was going to be serving in the temple in that way. But, and so that was the first thing. He got the altar. He got the altar. One of his two hopes in his life that he'd been hanging on for so much, he finally got that and he said, finally I can serve the God, Lord in this way. I can go in. But God had more for him on this day. He went, no, I know that's a big deal, Zachariah, but we're going to make it a huge deal. It's going to be massive. And so, not only, so he went in basically to, to, to run through his priestly duties in, in the temple and to do that. And while he's there, now just imagine this for a bit, because sometimes we, we read the Bible and I think we can be a bit lifeless about reading the Bible. He's in the place in the temple that only one person allowed is, is, is to go. No one else is meant to be there with him. Okay? Just understand that fact. He's gone in, he's quietly, like I don't know if he had a match or something, but he's lighting the incense, he's doing what he needs to do, and all of a sudden there is another voice in that space. Now, a few things could go through his head. First of all, I've got the wrong time. I'm not meant to be doing it right now. Maybe I was meant to do this morning instead of tonight, and I go, whoops. Or um, someone else is meant to, oh, this is really messed up because this is really going to mess up the process because there's only meant to be one of us in here. All of a sudden, he may have checked everywhere first and there was no one in there when he got there and now there's someone is. It's like when Jesus ended up in the room with the disciples. He said, peace, to, peace be with you. He kind of had to say that because their jaws were on the ground. Zachariah would have went, had at least had a mini freak out inside, if not one on the outside. You know how people sort of come up and sort of touch you and like and startle you? Zachariah probably jumped. He probably would have left the ground and sort of came, he was probably higher than the angel for a little bit. And then he came down and go, whoa, what's going on here? So the angel came and so that's the second thing that happened. An angel, but the angel came um, basically, and this is what he first said, he said, um, God has been hearing all your prayers. He's come to answer them. Zachariah's going, okay. Um, maybe he was praying about the altar and go, oh, thanks God, like I'm really enjoying being here. I'd, great company, heads up would have been good, but he didn't, he, but then the angel kept on going because he said, there is more to this today. I'm announcing that you were going to have a son. Now, if the fright made him leave the ground, that announcement may have let him, might have like knocked him on the ground, like just going, son, wait a second, okay, he's adding up his years, his fingers and toes don't work anymore, they don't go that far, he's thinking my wife is old. And basically it's more than that. He said, your son is going to fulfill a great purpose in the history of our nation, in the history of the world. He's going to come and he's going to come before the Messiah. Now, when my, my wife first told me that we were pregnant with, with Tessa, my first reaction was, are you sure? Like, that was it. I had, I like, and I went, because again, I wasn't expecting it, and she kind of told me sort of at an unexpected moment. Now, Zachariah's been looking forward to this, and he's, his expectation has dropped way down. And all of a sudden, he's told that you will have a son. You are going to have a son that is going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. And so he got the announcement. And the thing was, from there, basically, um, the story goes on that John 
Um, I mean, Zachariah sort of he sort of expresses some doubt and says, "Well, so so that you know this is true, are you going to lose your voice until your son is born? Okay, you're not going to be able to say anything. Can't even say yes, dear, no, dear. Can't say I'll take out the rubbish. Can't say anything. Um, if Elizabeth and him were having a conversation, he wouldn't be able to join in. So you'd have to sort of." Can't, I don't know if he invented sign language, but for nine months he came out and he wrote down on a tablet exactly what had happened and what was going to happen and, and basically they waited, after Elizabeth was pregnant, they waited the nine months and John came and they wanted to name him a different name. As no, he said, name him John, and from that point he could talk. And so John was born into this household of, of people that had come from a certain situation, had come, faced struggles, had faced... Um, had hopes but hadn't had them realised and I suppose the question we need to ask was how was the character of John's parents? How was the character for them? Because basically that would become an important thing as they were involved in his preparation to become the forerunner, to become the one who would announce the way for Jesus. We look in Luke 1.6, it says, Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. Okay, as references go from God, that's a pretty good one. Um, I've seen other references in the, in the Bible where God sort of sort of goes, "Yep, this is what you've done in your life, and this is what you haven't done." This one's a pretty good one. They were righteous, in spite of the difficulties they faced. And and again, I know for some people, sometimes there is a hurt or something lingering in their life. And they carry that as a weight and they can't get past it. And for some people it turns them bitter and, and, they, just, and, they, and they can really lose hope and they, they get to a point where you go, oh, yeah, I believe in God, but at the same time, like, I don't get much out of it. Zachariah and Elizabeth could have easily gone that way. Every single time that lot came up and Zachariah's name um, came, was missed out, you could just see them talk, the possibility of them talking about it saying, well, you never, it's never going to happen. You might as well just give up hope of this happening. Like, it's just, we're not meant to be. We're not meant to be. There's something wrong with us. It's so easy for them to go to that place. But, as Luke 1 6 says, they were both righteous, living without blame. They were still faithfully following God and still praying to Him daily. Second Chronicles then says, The eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show Himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Now, this becomes a struggle for us. How long do you have to be wholeheartedly devoted to God before God will see, show his strength for you? Because we, again, we ask that question of Zachariah and Elizabeth. I'm imagining a long time. I'm imagining from the point that they were married, they longed for a family. And year by year, decade by decade, went past. And they continued to be faithful. Now, God wants to work in our lives sometimes and we are impatient for his hand to come in. Sometimes we start to get ahead of God and say, God, well, hey, um, I know what you want to do in my life. Let me help you out. by let, I'll just go this way and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of force your hand. I'll force it. So I, I know you want to bless me financially, so I'm going to work more hours and, and take a job that's going to pay me more money. I know I won't be able to sort of be at church as much or I won't be able to do this for you as much. 
but I know you want to bless me. Oh God, I know you want this for me, so I'm going to go out and get anyone. I know, I know you want me to be married, so I'm going to go out and just marry the next person that comes along that I've got a, 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 an interest in. I know they may not be following you closely, but God, I know you want to be ma- me to be married, so I'm going to pursue that. And sometimes we get to get it to the point where we, we wait patiently for God, and God sometimes is slow in bringing his blessing, but his blessing is for the best. Got to get those, both those things because sometimes when we we jump ahead of God's plan, we choose a blessing that turns out not to be a blessing. It looks good, but then it f- fades away. In spite of having two heavy disappointments in their lives, Zachariah and Elizabeth lived with the desire to honour God. They hungered this for this way to honour God, and they were faithful. They were growing. Now, again, I'm not sure how old they were. There was differing sort of. Um, anywhere from 50 to 70 was sort of the range. But the thing is, I've spoken with some people that are older than I am um, and basically get to a point where you go, you know what, I've reached as far as I'm going to go with God. Zachariah and Elizabeth were still growing with God even in their old age. So if you think you have made it yet, you haven't. Keep pursuing God. They did not become bitter or hardened and even in their dis- disappointment, they still maintain their hope. As I said before, Zechariah still prayed daily for a child. Prayed daily for that. 50th birthday comes along. 55, 60th comes along. 65th birthday, 70th birthday. And I'm still praying for a child to come along. He still brought his hope before God and trusted God um, with the timing. I suppose we ask that question, about um, Zachariah and Elizabeth, how about their character, but a question comes to us, who are you before, during and after life happens? You know what I mean by life happens? When life doesn't go to plan, when maybe we mess up, we, we jump into the mess, maybe we sort of step into the mess, some of us just go and leap into it and we find ourselves in that. Maybe it's little things go wrong that kind of, we're going this way and, and all of a sudden you just lose your way a little bit and you find yourself somewhere and go, I didn't want to be here. Maybe it's something that was beyond your control. Like all of a sudden, there's struggles in my family, there's health issues, there's other things that I've got no control over. Who are you before that happens, while that is happening, and after it happens? Because you know what, it's easy to say, oh, when I face difficulty, I'm going to be, have my strength in God and I'm going to put my hope in God and my joy is going to be in God and someone cuts me off in traffic and all along a long line of words comes out of your mouth and go, well, maybe my character wasn't where it should be. Maybe all of a sudden you hit a, 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 not a roadblock, but a mountain in your life and you have no idea and you feel like giving up or maybe you do give up. And what's happening during that? This, this is a kind of draw this connection a little bit, is that you have people in your life, some of them are little people that sort of invaded your house and you don't know where they've come from. Others are people that are watching you in your workplace. Other people are watching you in your church and they are watching you. When that trial comes, how do you respond? Do you match up with the person you say you were before? Did you say, I will trust in God in all things and something goes wrong and you say, God, what have you done? That's not according to my plan at all. Like, and you kind of throw God out with the bathwater. We need to realise who we are during, 
situations. And so sometimes for the, the trial that Zachariah and Elizabeth faced, it was something that God developed them over a long time. God prepared them for it over a long time and they were willing to be part of that process. This becomes important for us in a little bit because what we need to realise is that John, God prepared John to be the forerunner. We, we spoke about that last week. Hundreds of years before John was born, before Jesus was born, God said through the prophet Isaiah, someone would come that would make a way for the Messiah, make a way for the King, make a way for the Saviour, make a way for Jesus. Someone will come and do that. So God was preparing for John to come. And we, we love how God loves to announce things hundreds of years before they're going to happen because God is excited about what he wants to do in our world. God is excited. Maybe we're not excited, but God is excited about what can happen when people grab a hold of his hope and his plans. And maybe we need to start getting a bit excited about what God is wanting to do in and around us. No one seems to be very excited this morning. Like, are you excited that God is excited about what he wants to do in the world? Some of you still aren't convinced. You're going, oh, I'm not really sure. He's asking us to respond. I'm not meant to be sitting here doing nothing this morning. The kids are gone, I'm resting, it's great. Like, God is excited about what he wants to do in this world. Okay, we're getting there. <laughs> Temperature's going up a little bit. But the thing is, so God prepared John to be the forerunner. But this is what God also did. Because again, God is excited and God doesn't sort of leave things to the last minute. God prepared parents to prepare the forerunner. God actually was actively preparing Elizabeth and Zechariah so that they would be the type of people that could raise John in a way that he would go out and take hold of the mission that God had given him. If he was just born to any old family and, and basically they say, yeah, you can follow God or not follow God and, and yeah, God might have a plan for your life or he may not, John would have grown up wishy-washy. When persecution came John's way, John would have went, this is too hard. I'm not going to follow down that path. But from the time he was born, John would have known the plan that God had for his life and his parents brought him up with that purpose and that hope and they would have been telling him about the great God who has prepared you for this. John was placed perfectly to be prepared for the role he had. Now, flip it a bit here. Because God prepared for the forerunner. God prepared Elizabeth and Zachariah for, to prepare John. Let's turn the focus on ourselves for a little bit. God prepares us to be the forerunner. We started talking about that last week. That we are meant to be God's forerunner in the places where we are. We have people that work in hospitals. We have people that work in schools. We have people that work in nursing homes. We've got people that work in companies. We've got people that help out around the home. We've got people that are all kinds of places. God prepares us to be a forerunner in the places we go. I don't know if you've ever sort of caught up with the... Um, or recently read, I suppose, the book of Acts where it talks about the early church. The early church, once they became alive, so you jump a few chapters in, they became alive with the presence of Jesus and his Holy Spirit upon them. And the local religious leaders at the time became, this is not good. So what we'll do, we will beat them up, we will bully them, we will persecute them. And so the people went, okay, well we're not going to hang around for that, let's run away. But again, because Jesus had such an important place in their life, as they were running away with fear, 
they were telling people about Jesus. Because they went, everywhere we go, we are going to make a way from him. And you watch the early church bring this to life where you see every place that they were going, they would stop and a new sort of group of believers would come up. And so when, when Paul came about, all of a sudden there were churches already planted that weren't really, they didn't actually have all the facts yet. But they went, there's something more to this life and it's about this person, Jesus. Or it's about this aspect we're meant to be following. So we are, we are meant to be forerunners. And so God is preparing each one of us to do that. Now, that is one side of the coin. I want to flip the coin back because God is also preparing us to prepare those under our influence to be forerunners. Now, this is where, okay, we're going to talk about you as parents. As parents, you have a great responsibility to bring your kids up in the way of the Lord. They are under your influence. Your children, your grandchildren, it is on you to be able to do that. I was really challenged recently at our national conference about um, something that uh, Pastor Mike said there. And uh, I was talking to the men and he just said, as a pastor, it is not your job to pastor your own kids. It is your job to be their father. And I went, okay, so I need to take my pastor hat off but still that responsibility for my kids to know about God falls to me as a dad. And as I was thinking about that, I went, well, that falls to you as mums and dads. I'm going to keep telling your, your young people about Jesus Christ, but don't skip out here. There is responsibility on you. And I heard this, and one of the team with Mike, um, she was 17 years old, and she was sharing with the youth, and she really hit home with this, this comment, she, just, she said, if your children don't see you sharing your faith, if your children don't see you active in your faith, if your children don't see you acting like Jesus, what chance is it for them? If your children don't see you walking after Jesus and being his disciple, what will they do? We shared a little bit about this on Friday night with our youth because one of the things about being a disciple, it is implied in that that you not only be a disciple by following in the teachings of Jesus and doing what he says, but you also teach. One hen reaches and learns from God or learns from another, and then we pass that on. And so it's actually implied, if, even as we as parents, and this is where it sort of jumps over to everyone else as well, anyone that you have influence over. Now that could be a young person, it could be a young uh, immature believer. Someone who's just come to Christ, who doesn't know anything, you have not only the opportunity, but you have the responsibility there to be a disciple maker for them, to shape them into walking after Christ. And we need to be really implicit. We need to be really intentional about saying, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, then you are going to make disciples of Jesus. You are going to be doing that. You don't come to church and go, you know what? The guy up the front, he does all that. We put in a bit of money and he does the rest. So in this one day of work a week. So that's what he does. No, no, no. The church as a whole becomes a disciple-making organisation. That means you as individual believers in the body of Christ become disciple-makers. And we shouldn't have to say that word. We shouldn't have to say disciple-makers. We should be able to say disciple because the disciple is someone who will make disciples. 
but we've got to be a little bit more deliberate. So this is a parent to a child, a mature believer to a baby follower. And, and let's be honest, how are we really preparing those who follow us to be forerunners? Is your faith evident in all the places you go? I'm not talking about being one of those crazy Christians who kind of... And they are out there. Like, okay, if you think that you go, I've never seen a crazy Christian, well, that could be the, it's you, okay? If you think I've never seen one that's... As, someone who's as passionate about me, well, you could be that person that's leaning on the crazy side. But anyway, the thing is we should be living our faith out. We shouldn't be hiding it. We shouldn't be masking it. We shouldn't be sort of withdrawing from people and sort of going, when people say, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, not much. We should be owning our faith. But not just describing it, we should be living it out. When someone hurts us, we forgive them. We rely on God's grace for healing. When God says there's a need, we give. Why? Because God has asked us to help those in need. When someone is lonely, we become a friend. Oh, but it's not convenient for me to do it. doesn't care. That's, the Bible says that's what we are called to do, to help those who are unlovely, who are lost. How is our faith evident? How is the practice of, of growing our faith seen by, for those, by those around us? I, I was thinking about this, and this one's really hit home to me. Um, often I will read my Bible on, on my tablet, and... But also on my tablet, I can watch stuff, I can prepare stuff, I can play games. And so my kids will see me on my tablet. They may not see me actually reading the Bible because they don't know what I'm doing on that. The kids actually don't see me placing importance in reading the Bible. I'm going, not, not for a show, not for anything else, but maybe I need to change my practice about how I do my devotions. So my kids see that I rely on God each day to face life. We need to set an example in that way. Do my kids, do I pray with my kids enough? Do I pray with my wife enough? Do I pray in front of my kids? All of a sudden coming to church becomes a great example because all of a sudden our kids will see it's not just attending church but it's coming together as a body of believers to rely on each other, to encourage one another, to challenge one another so that we can do the work of God together. And all of a sudden, people can get to the place where all of a sudden they might see people, oh yeah, I work, oh, I, got, I get paid more on a Sunday, so I'm going to work Sundays. Some people don't have the choice, that's where it falls. But some people have that choice and we can go, you know what, I'm going to keep that day sacred for God. That, that, that great story of, um, his name is Eric Little, who the um, Chariots of Fire movie is written about. Man of great faith. And his gold medal race is put down on a Sunday. So I will not run that race because this is the day that I honour God. This is the day I honour God and I will, not, I will not, it's not about my glory on this day. It is about God's. And so he gave up that gold medal with no promise of one in the future. He was a sure thing for that race. Are we willing to sacrifice? Sometimes it's a little, sometimes it's going to be a lot so that those who look to us and again, our children, our grandchildren become primary in this, but it might be other people around the church that look to you as an influence, going, you know what? I see church as important. I look forward to that each week. How do your children, how do those around you see you getting involved? Or giving of yourself? Or as I said earlier, 
Would your kids be able to share their faith by watching you? Would they be able to promote the gospel because they've seen you in action? Would they know what's in the gospel by, by hearing it repeated? And again, I, I was both disappointed and challenged as I read stories of, of children who they learnt to share the gospel from their parents, their mum and dad, on, on, often sharing their faith with people in their home. And I'm going, I don't know if my kids would be able to do that. It really hit home that I went, maybe my kids wouldn't, wouldn't say when they've grown up, yeah, I, I really knew the gospel because dad did it all the time. Dad, dad loved people all the time. I knew how to love people because dad did it. About how about how do we go when life gets hard? What is your coping mechanism at home when when life you've had a terrible day? Do we abuse the chocolate? All of a sudden the kids go, oh, when you have a bad day, you hit a bag of Mars bars. Okay, score. They don't see us actually going to pray. Maybe we complain about our day. And complain about our day. Maybe we get angry at the kids and kick the dog because I've had such a bad day. That's how we respond when we're Christians, when we have a bad day. These little people are watching all the time. Do they see grace at work? Do they see God's strength in us as we overcome the challenges we face? And this is the thing. I, 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 more and more I believe life is going to get harder at times and so they need to see the evidence of God in those times. And I think God will be pro proclaimed in, in, in a multiplied factor at those times. It's really easy when life is good to say, God has been really good to us, amen. But to turn around and say, when life is tough, to say, oh, isn't God good? Isn't God gracious? Thank God for the joy that I have. And all of a sudden the kids are going, hey, I don't need to have life together to have God be present. Don't need to have it all together to say God is good. It's a bit of a challenge. I, I know I'm challenged by in thinking this through, going, where do I fall short in this? Okay, I want to finish up with one question because, again, I'm talking about that we're meant to prepare those, again, that next generation, either through age or maturity in their faith. And some of us will then turn around and go, but, but no one has prepared me. And so you sort of take yourself out of the game. No one has, when I grew up, I didn't have a Christian family. I, I don't really think I've been discipled that much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take myself out of the game and sit on the side. I want to address that to you this morning because some of you may feel like you're in that boat. Or maybe you feel like you've been prepared in a way that you go, this does not make sense. I've been told one thing and it doesn't make sense. I really need to pursue it myself. I think it's a bit of a cop-out if we use that as our excuse. You may have missed out on preparation so far, but that doesn't mean that doesn't stop you from being prepared and preparing others in the future. Again, there are plenty of examples in the Bible of God grabbing people late in life and, and whipping them into shape. There's even plenty of examples of, of him grabbing horrible people and whipping them into shape and letting them go be their testimony, their testimony to proclaim God. So in this, find someone who's willing to journey with you. 
If you are wanting to find out more about your faith and what you should be doing and, and someone that will cheer you on and keep you accountable, find someone that will journey with you. Find someone that will pour themselves into you. And also you need to search and dig and explore so that you can find out who God truly is and what your faith means in that. And, and get it to the point it becomes real. Get it to the point where it is real for you, that you are not just trusting in my words, you're trusting in your own experience of what God has done. You're not just trusting in parents or grandparents and what they've done with God. You're not just trusting in those stories from the Bible. You've actually lived it out firsthand. God has provided for me. God has cared for me. God has loved me. God has forgiven me. And in that, all of a sudden, you can say that to other people. God loves you. God forgives you. God cares about you. The thing is, when we come to that place where, where God is really taking a hold of us and shaping us and preparing us, again, I want to use this word, this word excitement. Because when God is doing amazing things in your life, you actually want to tell other people about it. You actually get sort of really, really excited and go, oh, you want to do this. And, and, th and this is how, again, I th this is why I question our excitement about our faith at times. Someone gets a new car and we all go stand around it, looking at the paint job, we'll look at the engine, there'll be a crowd of people there. Someone gets a new, um, uh, a new engagement ring and again, people are excited and they all come and have a look. Some of the guys come up and go, oh, they, that, they're making me look bad now because of that, what they've done. So then they're sort of like, oh, no, I'm going to hide from that one. But we get people excited. A baby comes into the church or into a home and everyone is excited by it and a crowd develops. Sometimes it's even less than that. We get a new phone. We, we get like a, a new shirt, new clothes, new dress. Again, for the husbands, if your wife buys a new dress, please do notice that. It's beneficial um, for everyone. So like, um, but again... It's not as exciting, okay, sorry ladies, but it's not as exciting about the gospel and what it does in our life. And so I really challenge you to come to a place where you are excited about what God has done, is doing and wants to do in your life. And at that point in time, let it explode out of you. Let others know of your excitement about following Jesus. Let others know of your excitement about living in God's grace. Let others know the excitement of saying, hey, do you know what? I've messed up today, but I am a child of God and he loves me and he forgives me. I'm okay. Let, let it explode out of you when you are excited about the purpose that God gives you and the hope that God gives you. Too often... I even leave this place where I'm thinking, okay, that day's done, what have I got this week to do? And I feel the burden of life. And I'm thinking we should be at least walking out of this place excited about God, what God has done, is doing and wants to do in our life. So that's the challenge for you this week. As God prepares you, he's going to call you to prepare others. But in that preparation, be excited. Look forward with hope about what God is wanting to do, not only in us as individuals, but us as a church. Be excited about that. And in that excitement, 
And this is something we don't do well as a church. So I'd love to see this change. How often, when's the last time you've shared with someone during morning tea about what God has been doing this week? Okay, honesty. I'm I'm glad you're honest. Because we don't often do that. We don't open up our Bible and say, you know what, I read this passage this week and I was really challenged by this. Or this week, and even Lorena and I are praying on Thursday and while I was praying for rain, it started to rain outside. And I went, wow, my, I'm, I'm glad that God is powerful. My prayers aren't that powerful, but God is powerful God. And that was just a glimpse of what God has done. Has God done something amazing in your, this week, in your life this week? Well, you just want to share that with others. Do you have a need in your life this week that you should just say, be praying about this? Because when God answers that prayer, all of a sudden, you can be excited together. Don't keep all that God is doing shut up in here. Because when we do that, the whole idea of God preparing us to prepare others, it stops. God prepares us, and then it stops. And then sometimes God doesn't even prepare because we won't let him. And so all of a sudden it's just God. God is at work and we're kind of keeping him out. Let God, God flow this week in your life. And let others know about it. Let your kids know and your grandkids know that you love God and that you are not perfect that you are trusting in God for when the days hit, let them see the testimony of your life and the testimony of your words come alive for them because in doing that, you will prepare them to prepare others. And that's what John's parents did. God placed John with a family that would prepare him to prepare him for the purpose that God had called him to. Let's be a part of that process as well. Well, we want to thank you today um, for the opportunity you give us to prepare others, to be in a place where others look to us and we are able to encourage them and teach them and challenge them in their faith. But for that to happen, Lord, what we need first and foremost is for you to be working in us, to be changing our hearts and to be changing our minds, to be changing our practice. Give us more faith where we are doubting God. Help us to trust you so much more than what we do at present. Give us more courage, Lord, when it comes to to stepping out in directions that you want us to go. But Lord, as we do that, I pray that you are able to, to really get to a place in our lives where we know, know the purpose you have in preparing us and help us to be obedient in preparing others around us. I pray that we are able to stand in a position where we are being obedient to the God that we love the God that excites us, the God that sort of shows himself to be alive and well in our world. So let us stand in your plans for us, Lord, and to walk in obedience with you. We pray this in your name. Amen.